touched on a little statement made by uh, an author named Tim Keller. He wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage, and it was this. He said, with relationships, it's less about finding the right person and more about living the right practices. With relationships, it's less about finding the right person, more about living the right practices. And I think behind that statement, what he was kind of implying was, is that maybe there's not just that one perfect person out there for us, that soulmate uh, that we've got to try to find. But I think what he's saying is we really probably could be married to any number of people, not all at the same time, but, but really it's more about choosing to love. And as, if we live in those Christ-like qualities, that marriages could probably work with lots of different people who are living selflessly and humbly and we're forgiving one another, etc. So focusing on developing those qualities is probably potentially more important than searching for Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Now, if that's the case, though, what is to be said about whom we choose to marry? So will anybody do? That's the kind of the question that I want to address today. And the question is this, is what are you looking for in a mate? What are you looking for in a mate? And if you're already married, I'm going to tell you that the answer is the person you're already with. (laughs) Okay? So I'm not going to let you off the hook here. Well, pastor said, whatever. Okay? You're stuck with them for better or for worse. All right? And this is going to be one of these messages this morning, as I kind of told you on the front end of this series, that there are going to be weeks that are going to apply to some different segments of our population, maybe a little bit more than others. If you are single here today, this is probably going to really speak a lot to you. You're going to have a lot of things to think about. If you are the parent of a teenager, um, and as last week you kind of talked about the importance of coaching those kids through relationships, I think there's going to be some really valuable things here. But if you were married this morning, you're not off the hook. There are definitely some relational principles that we're going to discuss that I think can improve your current relationship. So if you just look back over the course of human history and these evolutionary patterns that scientists look at, uh, historically they would say that men are searching for young, attractive women who can bear their children. And women are looking for older, rich men who can provide them with the safety and security that their family will need. Thank you guys for coming this morning, and um, we'll see you next Sunday. I'm sure that we all have different criteria for what it is that we're looking for in a mate, and that criteria probably has evolved over time. When I was in high school, I had a few couple of uh, criteria for the ladies that I would go out with. One is that they had to be decent looking, okay? Secondly is they had to be really into me. And thirdly, they couldn't demand too much of my attention. Okay? I liked being liked. That felt good. I didn't want to be overly burdened by expectations. Does that sound selfish? Does it sound selfish saying it? I don't know how you're... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that was pretty much me. I love this quote by Christian psychologist Larry Crabb about his state of mind on his wedding day. And I've shared this with some of your all's wedding, so it might be a refresher. But he says... At age 21, Rachel and I got married. We stood before the preacher and we said all the right words. We followed the directions of the pastor who married us. I said things like, I promise to love, honor, and cherish, and until death do us part. But suppose you could have seen beneath the waterline into the passions that were ruling in my heart at that point of my marrying my wife 34 years ago. I think what you would have seen would have been something like, You know, I really had not felt very good about myself in a lot of ways. 
I'm not sure who I really am, but you are a pretty girl. You are intelligent, you're fun, you're bright, you're attractive, you're everything I want in a girl. You seem to like me, and I like the way you make me feel. Therefore, my commitment to you is to marry you, to give you the chance to keep on making me feel about me the way I want to feel. Do we have the terms clear? That is what I was saying in the core of my soul. I can certainly relate to that as well. I think an important first step in finding a mate is learning to be content without one. If we make finding a spouse an idol in our life, chances are that what we're probably going to do is we're going to lower the bar for fear of, of ending up alone. And that's really not where we want to be. And once I figured out that I was basically just using girls for my own benefit in high school, I went to college with kind of this new resolve that I was going to wait until I really came across somebody that I thought we have some potential for a a long-term relationship here. And really a lot of it was about me getting to a point where I was willing to serve somebody else and not just be in it for myself. And so a bunch of my friends uh, at college, we made a pact and we kind of agreed that we're going to do this, and we, and we kind of created this little pseudo-unspoken club, and we called ourselves the Lonely Guys. And we had two gang symbols that we used <laughs> to identify ourselves. Um, one was the L for lonely, and the other was the missing ring finger. And so, Todd, if you can put up uh, that first photo... This is a picture of me at Table Rock Lake with some of the, the lonely guys. That's me flashing the L in my umbros. Could you put that next picture up? Oh. Look at that. Now see, the problem is, is if you turn the L sideways, it kind of looks like the guy next to me wants to shoot me. So you got to keep it upright. Dave, remember that, the lonely guys? Oh, yeah. Dave was in college with me. He actually probably taught me how to, how to flash the L. So, what's funny about this picture, a lot of things really, but is that uh, 12 days after this photo was taken was my first date with Kristen. So God answered my prayers and he said, you know what, these photos have to stop. I'm going to put an end to that. Um, yes, we were dorks. But if you could see underneath the surface of our, our, you know, our cool guy poses, we really did want... You can take that down now, please. (laughs) Thank you. We really did want to have a season in our lives where we really focused on becoming men that Christian women would be attracted to someday, that they'd want to be with. So that was our heart behind it. Um, For a long time, I thought I was looking for a girl that I could be compatible with. And I thought that meant that we need to have uh, a lot in common. And I thought it needed to be somebody that was kind of just like me. And Jerry Seinfeld thought that at one point, too. If you can put that clip up. Hey, did you hear the bank on the corner is offering $100 if you go in there and they don't greet you with a hello? Oh, really? That's nice. <laughs> Ma, what's with you? They come in love. Oh, come on. <laughs> No, it's true. This woman saved my life. I was crossing the street. I was almost hit by a car. 
And then we talked, and the whole thing just seemed like a dream. If a guy saved your life, you'd be in love with him, too. Oh, no, this woman is different. She's incredible. She's just like me. She talks like me. She acts like me. She even orders cereal in a restaurant. We even have the same initials. Wait a minute. I just realized what's going on. What? Now I know what I've been looking for all these years. Myself. <laughs> I've been waiting for me to come along. And now I've swept myself off my feet. You stop it, man. You're freaking me out. Well, it's been quite a night. I could sure use a cup of coffee. Hey, what's the deal with decaf? How do they get the caffeine out of there? And then where does it go? That's a shame. I'll just have a cup of coffee. Bowl of cornflakes? More cereal? That's your third bowl today. You had it for breakfast and lunch. Hey, so what's the deal with brunch? I mean, if it's a combination of breakfast and lunch, how come there's no lupper or no liner? Hey! Frank just called me. Congratulations. Thanks, thanks. Look, I'm sorry about before. I mean, I'm sure I'll learn to like her, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Come on, come on what's the matter? I think I may have made a big mistake. Oh, come on. Nope. All of a sudden it hit me. I realized what the problem is. I can't be with someone like me. I hate myself. <laughs> if anything, I need to use something the complete opposite of me. It's too much. It's too much, Kramer. I can't take it. I can't take it. It's too bad you got engaged. <laughs> yeah, too bad. Oh, mercy. You see, the assumption was that if I found someone just like me, then I wouldn't have to change. And that was really appealing, because if we saw the world the same way and we enjoyed the same recreational activities and had common interests, then we wouldn't have to waste our time, you know, on all that energy uh, focused on battles between me and my spouse, that we could, we could turn our energies outward to the battles that just happened in life, things we couldn't control, like the economy or our jobs or kids or whatever it might be. So that was the assumption. That seemed to make sense. And then I, I met my wife, Kristen, and I really had no clue what to do with this girl. I mean, she was like the total opposite of me and, um, in every way. She was really shy and quiet, and especially when she was around my group of kind of loud and gregarious friends, like she just really went into a shell. So, you know, I'd go to dinner with her and these People, I was like, you know, wanting them to get an impression. She, they'd be like, well, she didn't say anything like the whole time. I don't know. We don't know what to think of her, you know. She sits there really nicely. So it was, I really, honestly, I spent about the first three months that we started dating trying to figure out how do I break up with this girl? Because honestly, like, it was such a stretch for me being around her. Somebody was so different. I was having to learn how to operate in ways that were way outside of my comfort zone. And on the surface, it would look like that we had nothing in common. And now, I'd always heard the phrase, opposites attract, but I, I really wasn't buying into it at the time, and, and probably not buying into it in terms of the way I understood the phrase or what they meant. Um, I've come to find that opposites attract theory is usually related to personality factors and not so much values or temperament.
So let me tell you what I mean. On personality inventories that you take, like one to be like the Myers-Briggs, which Kristen and I took this summer when we were on sabbatical, um, her and I are the exact opposites. Every letter is different, which means that we see the world from two very different perspectives. I mean, almost any way you could view life, we come at it from different directions, okay? So that, that, that has some challenges. But what makes it work, or at least this is what I tell myself, um, is our shared values and our shared temperament. And so in terms of what we value in life, Kristen and I value uh, pretty much the same things. We value relationships. We value our, our children, our family, our faith community, ice cream. Um, you know, we value, um, what was the other thing? Is Oh, just finding humor in ourselves. Like we can laugh at each other uh, very easily. We don't get too you know, prideful or worried about things like that. We value generosity. And even though we come at life from two very different perspectives, we can always pretty much reach a consensus on what it is that we value. We also have very similar temperaments. Kristen and I, neither one of us get very high or low emotionally. We're both extremely steady people, which means that we just kind of roll with life. There's not a lot of drama. There's not a lot of playing games with us. We're both pretty resilient. We're both really quick to forgive and just kind of move on. And so the fact that we have all these personality differences that, that you know, bring out different qualities and, and attributes of Christ, I think has really helped shape both of our characters. We've really learned a lot from one another. But if we didn't have that sh- those same shared values and shared temperament, those personality differences would probably drive us crazy with each other, okay? So I bring all of this up today to say this, that knowing and understanding what you and your potential mate value is probably by far the most important question that you'll need to ask. And I, I ask this question to my teenage son, Zach, all the time. I say, Zach, what are you looking for in a girl? And then I tell him the answer. <laughs> I say, Zach, listen, the most important thing is to find a girl who really loves Jesus. That when you see her worshiping, when you see her talking about her faith, that her whole being just kind of lights up. That when you're with her, that you want to be with God. And the Lord, that that she would know, when you spend time with her, that she would know and can articulate what it is that God is doing in her life. She can tell you about how she's being changed by Christ. That's all. That's all I want you to look at is just those few things, right? I'm kidding. That's a long list. But he takes it in stride, and then he goes and does what he wants. So (laughs) Paul gives us some really good advice, the Apostle Paul, in in this arena. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And so he uses this imagery of two oxen being yoked together. They have this, you know, this harness. They're kind of harnessed in and they're pulling the plow. And if you've got two oxen and you're trying to make a straight row, you don't want these oxen going in different directions, pulling against each other, you know, making your deal weave. Okay, I call it deal because I don't know what you call it plow maybe i think so same thing in a relationship if you're hooked in with this other person you know you don't want them and their priorities and their goals and what's most important to them to be headed in this direction and you in this direction it's not going to make life work so he says don't be yoked in with somebody who has very different beliefs and values than you if you're dating someone right now who you have to drag to church or drag to small group man i don't know 
I'd think again about that relationship possibly. If you find one, somebody who suddenly became religious when they started dating you, I would be really patient and kind of wait it out and see, is that, person's, is that person really interested in their own faith and following Christ, or are they just doing it because they know it's important to you and they just kind of want to make you happy? In Ephesians 5, which is the passage we're going to use as kind of the basis of our most, most of our conversation this spring, Paul starts out in verse 22, he says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, if a, if a woman isn't submitted to God's leadership in her life while she's dating, then she's probably going to have a hard time respecting and following her husband when they're married. And likewise, if a man is not living self-sacrificially as a single guy or in a dating relationship, he's probably going to have a hard time loving his wife like Christ loved the church when he's married. And it's not that you go into this thing kind of expecting perfection on either one of those levels, because that's not going to happen. But there has to at least be this sense that there's a desire there on their part for the woman, that I want to grow in understanding what it means for, for God to be the head of my life. And for, and for guys, I want to grow in understanding what it means to, to love like Christ loved. And we ought to be able to look and say, is there at least a trace of those elements there? Is there a desire? And can we point to some things in real life where like, I can see that they're heading there, that that's what they want. And, and every once in a while, those qualities come out and I see it. There needs to be some evidence there. Proverbs is filled with a lot of wisdom about people. And it especially talks about the difference between a wise and a foolish person. I would encourage everybody here who's single, who's young, to read Proverbs. And one, decide, am I wise or foolish? <laughs> and secondly, is the person that I'm with wise or foolish? And I think a lot of it has to do with people who learn from their mistakes, people who take advice from others, people who are humble. Those are wise people, not that they always make the right choice or do the right thing, but their desire is for that. And one trait that I would suggest you value in a potential mate is described in Proverbs 21, 27, 6. It says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Basically, you don't want to be around somebody who's always telling you how great you are. His reality is, is that we're all messed up. And if you're with a boyfriend or girlfriend and they can't look you in the eye, and sometimes call you out and speak the truth and love to you and say, you know what, when you do that or when you act that way, it's really not helpful. It's not God-honoring. It's not Christ-like. And, and you need to be doing that to your boyfriend, girlfriend as well, or your spouse for that matter. Okay, because to withhold the truth from people is to withhold love from them. People who are willing to just kind of sit back and let their significant other just continue in their sinful patterns. When you could say something, that doesn't mean they're going to receive it. But at least you've done your part to say, hey, this is destructive. Do you see what this is doing? We owe it to people that we love to share those things with them. And to withhold that is a lack of love for others. And then the flip side of that is how well do we do at receiving that? When our boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife comes to us and they share some hard things with us? Do we get really defensive and angry and snap back at them real quick and say, well, do you know what you did? Or are we humble 
and teachable and, and at least be able to say, God, is there any truth in what they're sharing with me right now? Is there as painful as that can be? And believe me, I'm a person that I don't like for my junk to be called out. It doesn't make me feel very good. But I appreciate the fact that my wife will do that. It's an important skill to develop in relationships. So what do you do now? For those of you that are kind of in the waiting game for somebody that God might bring along for you to spend your life with, what, what should you be doing in, in the meantime? Here's some practical things. And these are things that could be applied to being married too. First is work on making yourself someone a godly person would be attracted to. Work on making yourself someone that a godly person would be attracted to. Genuinely display attributes that would reflect Christ-like qualities so that when other people, the other sex that are looking for a husband or wife who are Christians, they would say, wow, that person's got this, this, and this attributes that are so like Christ. Secondly, know yourself and grow in self-leadership. Be a student of yourself. Take personality tests so you understand who you are and what your potential weaknesses or blind spots might be. You know, do some um, spiritual gifts inventory so you know the gifts that God has given you. Understand your potential weaknesses. Live in community with other people who are going to speak the truth and love to you and challenge you in your faith so that you can grow. And then people also who one day when you've got that guy or girl that you're thinking about marrying, that you could come to that group of people that you trust and say, hey, what do you think about this person? You know me. You know what I'm like. You, you've been around them. What do you guys think? Do I need to stay with them or kick them to the curb? And here's the key one. Get counseling for areas that you know may be potential issues in a marriage relationship. Get counseling now for areas that you know might be potential problems in a marriage relationship. If you have experienced any kind of abuse, if you have experienced issues with abandonment, or addictions, take responsibility for your own healing. Because if you don't, you are going to put that on your spouse, hoping that you're going to find some person that's going to be your savior, that's going to make everything better. And somebody who you think is going to fill the voids created by your unresolved pain. And that's not fair to whoever that person might be, because they can't do that for you. Thirdly, be diligent and successful in your career. Do your work with integrity because that's going to develop skills and patterns and disciplines in your life that are going to serve you well as a potential spouse. And finally, pray for things that you're looking for in a potential mate. And then use your prayers and your list of kind of what your non-negotiables are as a filter so that when somebody comes along that doesn't match what you've been praying for or what's on your list of non-negotiables, that they, got, they get spit out the system. <laughs> You know, because you know what it is that you're after, and not just the first person that comes along that, that tells you you're great. I want to give you a great example of this in the Bible. I want you to turn to, to Genesis chapter 24, kind of at the very beginning there, page 15. Genesis 24. <clears throat> And this is after Noah and the flood and all of that. And God had chosen um, the Jewish people to be his people. 
and he had tapped on the shoulder of a, a man named Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you and your descendants a, a great nation. You're going to be a blessing to other people. And he said, but I need you to leave the land and, and the family that you're with, and I need you to go to this land that I have for you. So the, the, the nation the area that we call Israel today. So Abraham did, picked up his, his tent and moved all the stuff over here. And he's getting towards the end of his life, and he has been given a son by God named Isaac. And uh, Isaac hasn't been married yet, and so he's kind of his dying wish here. He says to his servant, I said, I, I want you to go, and I want you to find a wife for Isaac. But I want you to go back to our people, where we came from, and I want you to find one of those ladies to be Isaac's future wife. So that's kind of the story. So I want to pick it up in verse 10. So this servant is going off to, on this task. Verse 10 says, And the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out from Aram Naharaman, whatever that is, and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out and with, with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No one had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said. And quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. So what was the servant looking for in a future wife? For Isaac. Somebody who was a servant. Yeah. So he went with a clear picture in mind of what kind of person he wanted his, his master's son to end up with. And he used his prayer as kind of a filter to figure out who that person's going to be. And he wasn't going to settle for anything less than, than that specifically. Because he knew that a woman like that would be a good, a good woman for Isaac to spend his life with. Guys, make your choice on character, on who you're going to spend your life with, not on anything else, not on looks, not on money, anything the world would say is important. Character is what you're looking for. What kind of person, what do they value, how are they living? Do you know what you're looking for? Those of you that are single... Do you pray? Do you have your non-negotiable list? Are you making yourself someone worth looking for? Finally, when you find someone, seek counsel about him or her. Proverbs 12.15 says this, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. 
See, we can talk ourselves into a lot of things, especially when we're lonely and we're discouraged and we just want somebody to be around. Go to the people that you respect, people that you know have your best interests in mind, people who know you, your strengths and weaknesses, and give them permission to speak into your relationship about whether it's right for you or not. I can't tell you how many friends, you know, coming out of college, got married, and their parents weren't for it, and these were good Christian parents, and man, just the destruction that I had to watch some of my friends go through, because they just wanted what they wanted. Or people who have kind of They start dating this person, all of a sudden they start isolating themselves from their Christian friends, people who have been there with them for years and who they've trusted their counsel before, and now all of a sudden this new relationship starts pulling them in this new direction, and they just start ignoring and separating themselves from these people, and they go off and do what they want, and it just doesn't work out. Now, invariably, there might be some people in here this morning thinking, man, Bob, I wish you would have told me this about five or 10 or 15 years ago. Now I'm stuck with this person, right? Maybe people who maybe are, you feel a little bit unequally yoked with, you're kind of wondering, well, what do I do? And I mean, I don't have great answers for you. I would say one is just be patient, continue to work on your own self-centeredness. Um, I do believe that we have a God who can do anything. He can change anybody. But it's going to be him that's going to do it, not you. Um, so trust in him and not in your own strength. And keep coming back. I think we're going to learn a lot of things this semester that hopefully might change your perspective on you, on this other person in your life that's just hard and frustrating right now. Um, yeah, so I don't have a lot of guarantees for you, but I can tell you being here and listening and, and, and being open to what God might do in your life is important. So... Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you um, uh, just for your love for us. And um, I just pray for the young people here today. God, that they would just, um, just focus on really developing their character, of just becoming more like Christ, God, as they prepare to, to maybe spend their life with somebody. And God, I pray that they wouldn't be so worried about personality or, or uh, compatibility, but they would be really focused on finding somebody who values what they value. And first of all, finding out what they value, <laughs> what, what each of us values personally, and just being a student of ourselves, God. I pray that you would help us to know our own hearts, know who you are, and just find our joy and our satisfaction in you alone so that we don't make demands on this other person to be somebody for us that they never can be. God, help us to take responsibility for our own stuff, our own pain, our own hurt that just needs to be healed. God, give us eyes to see as we, as we go out and we, we look for a potential mate. Help us to just to be wise. Help us to trust other people. Help us to be other people who will come alongside somebody and say, man, I'm not sure. Help us to be bold enough to say, ah, maybe you should think about that. God, we just love you. We thank you that your desires for us are good. 
I know that each week as we go through, there might be some different things that come up that are just hard to hear or just painful right now. And so, God, I pray that, that when we have those pains, that we wouldn't run to just other things to distract us, but we would just come to you with that hurt and allow you to kind of speak to us and, and love us. I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.